Welcome to this episode of the 9420 podcast, where we talk about the music that we love and the industry that we tolerate. We get the 
everyone, and welcome to this episode of the 9420 Podcast. That was Carter Brady with Best of Two Worlds. Hi, Carl and Greg. How are you guys doing? Hello. Hello, Nicole, and hello... um, Hey, Carl. Greg. Hey, Nicole. Hi. (laughs) That was fun. Uh, Carter's got it going all on. I'm thinking 90s. I thought Weezer. Early 90s, man. Late 80s and 90s, yeah. I used to listen to a ton of bands that are... I, I think even for the 80s and 90s, they were considered to be obscure. There, there was a band called Lilac Time. There was a band called The Go-Betweens. I, I, I love those bands. There was a band that I'm an enormous fan of called Prefab Sprout. That track sounds like something off their first effort. Kind of an edgy thing, but uh, not afraid to be pop. I thought it was enjoyable. Where'd we find Carter? We found Carter through a uh, firm, Publicity Nation, who reached out to us on Instagram. Well, I, I, you know, we always say this. I, I wonder if, I wonder if our references don't completely confound the people that are making this music because they're rather obscure. But uh, well, uh, I was going to say, good he, stuff. yeah, Carter reminds me of Weezer a little bit. He like just his sound and the vibe. So. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, that pop thing. Yeah, in the '90s, I worked with a band. I absolutely loved these guys, and I, brought, I actually brought them to Nashville, and they played a a rock festival that was uh, back in the day. Back in the day, there used to be something in Nashville in the '80s called the the Nashville Entertainment Association (NEA), and they would bring all these rock acts into town. Well, there was this band uh, that hailed from Washington, D.C., and it's about, it's around the time, I think it might have predated my work with you, Carl, but it's around that time. But this Love band. Love Circle Logic? No, it wasn't Love Circle Logic. Uh, this band, uh, they were called Big Black Nun, and that's an, an, an interesting, obscure name. Uh, they were from Washington, D.C., and they were fantastic. I loved them. They were kind of an art rock thing. Like N-U-N? Yeah. Yeah, Big Black Nun, yeah. Okay. And um, I will send you a JPEG of a poster that they had that uh, is quite startling. They were uh, an art rock band, and they were um, wonderful. I, I then they thought, opened, Then they opened for Short Fat Priest? <laughs> right, right. Um, I, you know, I they would remind you of, if you'd never heard anything they did, they would remind you of... Uh, what is it? Perry Farrell and uh, Jane's Addiction. Right, right, right. They were they were that kind of band. Uh, yeah, they were cool. Those guys. Yeah, really fantastic. Uh, the guy's name, the guy that fronted them, his name was Fire Dean, and uh, really, really uh, talented. I remember they complained to me. They said, "We've got to get out of Washington D.C. We are, you know, our crowds are starting to fall off." And I said well, how many people did you have last week? And they said, about 800. What? I, I said, we don't get 80 people listening to music on the weekends in Nashville, and you had 800 people in the club, and you think you're doing poorly? Well, I think it's relative, man. That was the scene, you know? You were mentioning this week, you know. So what is that, Morgan Wallen? Morgan Wallen. I heard about the thing with the, with the with the Opry. What really happened? So apparently he um, came out to perform a song with someone that he normally performs songs with. Right. And 
people lost their ever-loving minds that he was back on the Opry stage because last year he got canceled for a racist remark that he made and kind of, I mean, got oh, taken. Oh, it's, it's still from that? It's still from that. So he got taken uh, everything away from him last year. And I guess people are still, and he apologized, like genuinely apologized. Um, but I guess people are still canceling who's, him. Who's in an uproar? I guess everyone who saw it, I mean, everyone who's still mad at him. So like, Hundreds of thousands of people are now boycotting, apparently, from what I understand, the well, Grand I Old Opry. Because he was an anti-vaxxer or something. No, 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 no. This still stems from like the remarks that he made. Far be it from me to complain about cancel culture, but because I I pride myself in not being able to be canceled. You know, I mean, it's like. Uh, well, we uh, haven't been canceled think... yet, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, the fact is that I think it's just, I think extremism on either side of the scale is kind of boring and um, I don't know what the word is. It, it, it's bothersome. I just think kindness is a, a superpower and I'm hoping that more and more people will be led uh, in that direction in the coming years. Wasn't the saying you get more flies with honey than you do vinegar or something like that? Yeah. The fact is that, um, you know, you can have your opinions, you know, you can have your opinions, you can have your positions, uh, and you can be adamant and passionate about it. But uh, people's rights are people's rights, you know, don't stomp on them. Uh, and don't feel as if you have to destroy someone because they have a different opinion or they uh, take a different stand. Now, is racism wrong? Absolutely, positively, racism is deplorable. But, you know, I mean, the idea that we're lying in wait for someone to say something that's contrary to our belief system, and we and we go after them. There's a thing know, just this week about, about um, Elvis Costello and uh, his song, Oliver's Army. And, and, and there's a line in, in Oliver's Army where... Um, he says the word one less white, the N word, you know, mm -hmm. that's the line. But what he was referencing back in, in the late seventies was an English term that was used for those particular people in that time, back in you know, back with Cromwell and back in the, so he was just using a term that was appropriate for that, that was used. He was just referencing something that was said. He wasn't, and wasn't even anything to do about racism is that it's, you know, and now they stop playing the song, and even Elvis Costello's come out saying, "Don't play the song anymore." I, you know, you you know what bugs me is, is that I would like to think that as a society, I would like to think as as a group of people uh, and as humanity, we we are progressing, we're getting smarter, we're getting more forgiving and more kind and more you know all these great attributes. But the fact of the matter is that what bugs me is that if you aired all in the family consistently throughout the year today in 2021 well, forget or 2022. About it. I, it's funny you say that because I just you, you could not do it. Everyone associated with the program would be canceled. Because, well, it's funny you say that because I just stumbled on this channel. I, I don't know what I, well, I don't know what I'm going through, some kind of nostalgic nonsense. But I got my earring, I told you I got an earring now. And um another thing I did, <laughs> I, I stumbled on the other morning, I I other night I had nothing to watch. I stumbled on Andy Griffith's show on this channel called Get and TV. That's a good show. 
I love that show. But it's, it's from an the, amazing show. From 63. And then Black and yep. White and Barney. So then I, I go even deeper. Like in it, I stumbled on my favorite Martian. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, my black. gosh. That's, Bill Bigsby. Yeah, I remember like, that. So I'm watching these shows, and one of them was All in the Family. And like, you're right. Everything he said was, but that's the point. But they could have that discourse, you know, uh, across the country. And, you know, nobody was, you know, out to get them, you know? I considered like, you know, you can't say that. Yeah, you can't say that. Whatever whatever happened to, like, a healthy discourse about inequity? I don't know if you guys watched Being the Ricardos. I really liked how they actually got the people who were a part of that episode who were still alive to come in and give their perspective. So it wasn't just like Nicole Kidman. It starts out with them actually talking about what was going on in that particular time period with Lucy and Desi. What's Lucy's daughter's name? Something Arnez. Lucy Arnez. She made a documentary with old home movies of them. And it's my understanding that she had maybe something to do with this picture, uh, this biopic. Uh, but I I understand that she did not like the choice of Nicole Kidman. A lot of people didn't like the What's choice of Nicole name? Kidman. Uh, Kate Blanchett. Mm-hmm. I think yeah, that's who she her. wanted. Yeah, right. exactly. I think Nicole Kidman did an extraordinary job. I think she's amazing. I met Desi, I met Desi Arnaz. Really? At Roosevelt Field, uh, Barnes and Noble. That's funny. <laughs> he was signing his right before he died too. I remember, you know, I went in there, I, I shook his hand and said hello. Yeah, he was old then, but um, one of the main points thematically of this picture, I think he had a what do they call it, a, a wandering eye. But fact is that he really had a lot of power, and he was really extremely talented. Desi Lou, man, and they, yeah, they, they, they yeah. you know, they, they he, he, he was not just a band leader, man. He like you know owned television. He was in like the the pioneer mm-hmm. of TV. That the Danny Thomas show, all those shows. And, Andy Griffith was Desi Lou Productions, and that, but that's where this kind this documentary kind of shows that power that he had. But it also yeah. shows that Lucy, even though she played a very like dim-witted woman comedian who kind of mad cat, yeah, 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 yeah she yeah, was yeah. actually very intelligent on the back end of it all. Like how powerful she was and how like strategic she was in certain things. She had uh, maybe four or five network television deals. I actually like the behind the scenes stuff and the stuff that's been the stuff that's been done recently because uh when that show aired, I mean I saw it in reruns. It was before I was born, but I I saw it in the first year of reruns or the first season of reruns, I guess, but I never liked the show. You know why? Because I always wanted things to go right for Lucy and everything always went wrong for Lucy, you know? I know, but that's the point of the show. Yeah, I know. But my my point being, she was so likable that I wanted things to go well, you know? And it's like, I didn't like her being put in those positions. Ricky always put her in the show, you know, Fred. (laughs) Yeah, she's always messed something up. Or she and Ethel are like, you know, like the candy machine is spitting candy out. Right, and, you, you know, know whatever vitamin, the case. Vitamin and vegetable. Yeah. Stomping <laughs> right. of the grapes. The, exactly. The, can, exactly. the candy on the bell. They they figured it out. She was an incredibly, uh, I think a lot like uh, right. Carol Burnett in how mm-hmm. physical her comedy was, mm-hmm. you know. In like the first five minutes of the biopic is the executive producer is talking about how nowadays you get 
maybe a million, maybe 4 million people to tune in on a regular basis. But like every week, Lucy Everybody had, in America every, tuned in. 60 yeah. million people tuned into the Lucy, uh, the I Love Lucy right. show every week regardless. So like he right. actually kind of shows the disconnect and what's going on and, and how wide and vast the because world of content is. Channels. Yeah, I know. But, <laughs> I mean, I would like to think in in some weird way, I know we don't, have you know a huge audience with this podcast but fact is i would love it if if you know, if somebody caught on to this podcast and listened to the different things that we talk about uh particularly from a nostalgic viewpoint on media and radio and television and movies and you know maybe they'll go back and listen or look you know and wouldn't that be cool <laughs> oh you is go. that your nostalgia music Play some more music by Carter. Yeah, so let's uh, learn a little bit more about Publicity Nation, which is how we found out about Carter Brady, and then we'll listen to my name. This episode features an artist from Publicity Nation PR. Publicity Nation PR is a music, entertainment, and lifestyle public relations and artist development agency based in Nashville, Tennessee. They are an industry leader in music and entertainment publicity, artist development, branding, and commercial projects for artists, entertainers, entrepreneurs, and social influencers. Their drive, dedication, and exemplary work ethic leads the way to their client success. For more information, go to publicitynation.com. Again, that is publicitynation.com.
Carter Brady's My Name. I just think it's kind of pop and kind of cool. I mean, I, Very I like sparse, too. Like, just guitar-based drums. Dreamy. Yeah. Dreamy. Cool. Well, we did speak to Carter, so he is going to answer our questions of the oh, week this week. Good. There it is. There's our music. <laughs> every time that fires up, every time you cue it. You feel like you're in show it, business. We are just, we're just. We're rocking. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> All right. So the first question that we asked Carter is to tell us a little bit about himself. Hey, guys. So my name is Carter Brady. I am a musician and singer-songwriter. I'm currently based in Nashville. I'm, I'm getting a master's in marketing degree there for grad school. But yeah, I grew up in New York, right outside New York City in the suburbs. Got started playing guitar in first grade. So yeah, no, it's been a long time for me and definitely will always, no matter what, keep music a serious hobby and obviously doing podcasts like this and just make getting my name out. And no matter what, we'll always keep doing it alongside whatever career I do end up doing, you know, within the marketing industry. And so, yeah, no, as far as the background goes, I've continued to be predominantly a guitar player, but I've taught myself drums. I, over the last few years, have really uh, honed in on just, you know, making myself a better singer. I've um, done some vocal coaching and, and, and sorts and have gotten a lot better at writing songs within my vocal range and being able to expand my range, I think has helped a lot too, um, in all aspects. And yeah, I just, I just love recording and nothing's better for me besides performing, obviously, than just going down and coming up with something and kind of expanding on that and bringing it all together. And, and yeah, I mean, performing is what really got me into my, into everything with music. And so 
uh, all those things together, I think really have helped make me the musician I am today and uh, continue to grow. So yeah. See, I told you he was from Nashville, even though he is originally from New York. He's in Nashville now. Interesting. He talks about, uh, he said he'd done some vocal coaching or or he, w- he was being coached. I assume he means he was being coached. But uh, that yeah, that last track, you know, it's kind of the melody doesn't move very much. It's kind of it's kind of drony. I just always wondered if, if you know, if you're a writer and you're and you don't fancy yourself a great singer, uh, or do the melodies, the me- the big melodies that move, do they even occur to you so that you write them because you might subconsciously not feel as if you could sing them that, anyway? That, that, that's a good question because, like you know, I um, well, I can speak as for myself, but I I usually write the melodies I can sing. Like 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 there are songs like. Mariah Carey melodies, or, or or really like Celine Dion melodies, like yeah, songs they have that have all like, that movement. Well, that's yeah. I, I I've never written songs like that with long notes because I don't sing that way, so I don't write those songs. So I guess someone maybe can interpret my songs that way, maybe add some of that to it. But so I think there's something to that. I think you kind of. But then again, I remember watching a video of Burt Bacharach singing his songs, and wow. And he can't sing his songs. He can't sing. Yeah. But, but, he, uh, but he wrote some songs that can be sung. <laughs> the melodies so, are so I guess it, it depends on who you are, who you're writing for. You know? Yeah. So what else do we ask uh, Carter? So we asked him what he is currently working on right now. Yeah. So I actually just released an album called Blue Reverb back in November that I would love you guys to go take a look at and check out. I just felt like it was a great time given you know the, what we're going through at, the, at that time in the pandemic. Just had graduated college, had been working on another project with a band, but I just felt like it was it was time to release something as a solo artist and uh, just figured it was a good time to capitalize on something like that. You know, I've been writing some other stuff, but, you know, that summer, this past summer, I just really started flowing with new ideas, kind of had this whole new way of approaching the songwriting and ideas were flowing and songs were coming along. And I just felt like put in the effort and, uh, you know, just make sure it, it could be the best it can be. And so... Yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I will say that I definitely think it's the most time, energy, money, all of the above that I've ever spent into making music. And so I, I'm definitely very proud of it. And um, it's been great these past this past month or so to really hear from people what they think of it. And just just for my own self, like, it, you know, at the end of the day, as long as you're happy with it, that's all that matters. And um, yeah, I mean, I've just been very satisfied with how it came out. But yeah, once again, definitely go check it out. I think it's definitely worth a listen a mix between like modern indie rock and, and nineties alternative and grunge. So definitely, definitely go check it out. It's funny what he says. It's, it's true. It's funny. I just heard a thing by, uh, by Neil Young about what he just said. Um, as long as you're happy with it. And the guy was asking him about, about Neil Young, about like, do you care about what critics say? He goes, and I, I if you believe anyone, I believe Neil Young, he's the one guy who could care yeah. less, you know, as long, as long as he's no, happy he really with it. Could. That's all that matters. He's one of those few guys that truly, I believe, when he says, I could care less who likes this. If he likes it, that's all that matters to him. And I think that there's the truth to that, you know? Neil Young, I've heard interviews with him. Some of the things that he said in interviews, they they just stay with me. They're just, they're kind of iconic when he talks about music and, and, and making music. And he's somebody that, you know, you wouldn't identify as a, as a classic singer, you know, he he doesn't sing very well. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's such, so such a style and such a, you know, and, and it just speaks volumes, but 
they were asking him about his guitar playing. You know, it, there are circles that believe that Neil Young is like one of the most innov innovative guitar players to ever come down the pike. And he doesn't really play fast or he doesn't play intricately, but he's got a sound, right? Well, yeah, he's got, so he's got a vibe, said, you know, he's got a vibe you, to him, yeah. Yeah, and they said, how do you get that sound? And he said something that I'll never forget. He said something to the effect of, I can't quote it verbatim, but he said, the music is in the guitar, and I feel as if I'm literally mining the music out of the guitar. So when I bang it and when I'm strumming it, and when I'm digging for that sound, that's essentially what's going on. I'm physically pulling the music out of the guitar. And I thought, man, this guy is on a different level. He's an interesting guy. Yeah. You know, yeah I think I think he's, he's yeah, one of the very. only guys. I may be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure this is correct. He's one of the only guys who has a top 10 single from a live single acoustic recording. <laughs> needle in the, dam needle in the damage done. That's a that's a live yeah. recording of a Simon acoustic guitar. It's a startling song. Anyway, we can go on and on. I'm a big yeah, fan. Yeah, he's one of yeah, my favorites. He's pretty great. It was refreshing to to hear that you know, hey, you know, something like I'm proud of this record. It was it was refreshing to hear. Check it out. I'm proud of it, uh, and I think it represents what what I'm into right now. Let's see what else cool. Carter say. What was the next question we asked Carter? So we asked him what other music artists have influenced your career or inspired your career so far. Yeah. So some of the more recent influences I've had that have definitely had an impact on my songwriting within the last few years. Um, so first off, some indie bands like Snail Mail, Soccer Mommy, um, Mac DeMarco definitely have had a huge impact on how Blue Reverb came out. And I'm um, so fortunate that I was able to discover them and um, you know, Lindsey Jordan, Sophie Allison and Mac are just awesome, awesome musicians and artists and songwriters. And so, um, you know, Lindsey Jordan kind of has that more lo-fi guitar driven sound, um, something like Heat Wave. Definitely try to emulate that in songs like Running Out of Time and Bring Me Back to You. And then, you know, like songs like Circle the Drain by Soccer Mommy, um, you know, definitely try to be inspired by that for a song like My Name. And um, yeah, and then like, Mac DeMarco was someone I didn't ever see myself necessarily being fully inspired by, you know, with the psychedelic and stuff, but I definitely um, got into that and definitely tried to, you know, pull stuff from that for, for the album, you know, a song like best of two worlds has some kind of backing guitar that kind of was inspired by some of those songs. And yeah, I mean, just like overall, I think like I'll always be inspired by bands like Foo Fighters. Dave Grohl is my biggest idol, basically. Um, you know, Weezer, Oasis, uh, Goo Goo Dolls, Royal Blood, Tame Impala, and then always the Beatles. So, yeah. All right. So we, we did call it because we did reference Weezer. Yeah, call Weezer. <laughs> yep. Some of these other ones, though, I was about to say up until he said that, I'm like, I don't think I know any of the people he's talking about. Uh, but I will do the research and we'll, we will link all of the people that he mentioned. Yeah. Just, just so that we can even educate ourselves a little bit about who those people are. Excuse me. Best band in the world, Soccer Mommy. I don't care what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, that's that Soccer funny? Mom. It's, it's Soccer Mom. Mommy. <laughs> <laughs> we have the final question to Carter. What is it? Which is, what does a successful music career look like for you? Oh, the question. The question. Yeah, so music is something that no matter what, I'll always keep doing. And um, I mentioned earlier, like, I'm going to always keep it a serious hobby, regardless of the career path I choose more full time. and 
I tell people a lot of times that it's almost like one foot in one door, one foot in the other. And I like to keep both of those doors open. And so I put just as much time into music as I can with, with my other stuff. And obviously, you know, at some point, if I am into a full-time role in marketing, that might change, but you know, do I, I do what I can to, when I have the time to be smart and just like to put in as much, much effort as I can to give myself that exposure. And obviously at the end of the day, it's for fun, but I think a successful career in music for me is just to continue to be able to release music that I, and find time to record and perform, you know, ever, ever so often with bands and by myself. And that's just something I'll always like to do no matter what. And I've definitely had the time over the last year or two to really research and, and, you know, give myself more knowledge on the industry. And, you know, I've even experimented with stuff like sync licensing. So I think something like sync licensing deals would be, even though it's super competitive and hard to get, you know, that would definitely be something would be just cool to say I got and, you know, just continue to meet people in the industry and learn more. And, you know, there's so much still to learn about. And yeah, I'm just really grateful to be in the position I am today. So yeah. I like this guy. I like his perspective on it. I like like the goals and the ambitions, but that he also knows that being a musician can be a hobby and you can still have a career, but you can still succeed. And he seems like he is very cool. Well, he, he has not yet identified the idea that there are many, many uh, successful musicians that became well-known because they had all these other talents and skills. Relationships. And- what do they call those people that can do like 10 different things? Polymaths? Oh, yeah. No, you're not wrong. A person of wide-ranging knowledge or learning. Polymath. A renaissance polymath. Most uh, most rock stars for today, and you know, of course there are no more, but uh, people in the music business today are more than likely, if, they're, if they have a successful career, they will, they will be polymaths. So what one one said, no, I just heard just just you know, um, Ronnie Spector, you know, be my baby. She died today. Oh man, yeah, she had a very very unique. Yeah, role. she was interesting. Did she keep her voice? Because it was always edgy in those in those Spector records. I, I don't know. You know, she she whatever she did, she was able to do it pretty much to the end. Maybe to not the same degree, but she was still Ronnie Spector. She could still sing "Be My Baby," you know. So yeah. Uh, it was interesting. Most people came to know her not through the Ronettes hit uh, of the '60s, but of the '90s uh, version Eddie of Money. the song in no, I Eddie think that Money, was a resurgence. Right? I think you know, like she, she the be, yeah. be my that that's iconic. You know, that's you know that that, oh, that but that it's an amazing song. Like it's just it's something everyone knows. So, yeah. what does Kenzie think? Kenzie, what do you think? Well, she's your baby. She's yeah. your baby. What do, you, what, what do you think, kiddo? Be my baby? No. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. no. Anyway, on that note. All right, everyone. Let's get on out of this episode. Make sure that you listen all the way through to the end because we have one more song by Cardo called Bring Me Back to You. For everything that we talked about and links to artists and things we referenced, please make sure you go to our website, which is 9420.com. That is the number is 94 and the letter is T-W-E-N-T-Y. Until next time, we'll talk to you all later. All bad.
Turns and stop 